Book 16, Chapters 9 and 10 of The Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. The Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 4, by Flavius Josephus. Translated by William Whiston. Book 16, Chapters 9 and 10. Chapter 9. Concerning the Revolt of the Traconites. How Sylleus accused Herod before Caesar, and how Herod, when Caesar was angry at him, resolved to send Nicholas to Rome. When Herod had been at Rome, and was come back again, a war arose between him and the Arabians, on the occasion following. The inhabitants of Traconitus, after Caesar had taken the country away from Zenodorus, and added it to Herod, had not now power to rob, but were forced to plough the land, and to live quietly, which was a thing they did not like. And when they did take that pains, the ground did not produce much fruit for them. However, at the first the king would not permit them to rob, and so they abstained from that unjust way of living upon their neighbors which procured Herod a great reputation for his care. But when he was sailing to Rome, it was at that time when he went to accuse his son Alexander, and to commit Antipater to Caesar's protection, and the Traconites spread a report as if he were dead, and revolted from his dominion, and betook themselves again to their accustomed way of robbing their neighbors. At which time, the king's commander subdued them during his absence, but about forty of the principal robbers, being terrified by those that had been taken, left the country, and retired into Arabia, Sylleus entertaining them, after he had missed of marrying Salome, and gave them a place of strength, in which they dwelt. So they overran not only Judea, but all Celesyria also, and carried off the prey, while Sylleus afforded them places of protection and quietness during their wicked practices. But when Herod came back from Rome, he perceived that his dominions had greatly suffered by them, and since he could not reach the robbers themselves, because of the secure retreat they had in that country, and which the Arabian government afforded them, and yet being very uneasy at the injuries they had done him, he went all over Traconitus, and slew their relations. Whereupon these robbers were more angry than before, it being a law among them to be avenged on the murderers of their relations by all possible means. So they continued to tear and rend everything under Herod's dominion with impunity. Then did he discourse about these robberies to Saturninus and Volumnius, and required that they should be punished, upon which occasion they still the more confirmed themselves in their robberies, and became more numerous and made very great disturbances, laying waste the countries and villages that belonged to Herod's kingdom, and killing those men whom they caught, till these unjust proceedings came to be like a real war, for the robbers were now become about a thousand. At which Herod was sore displeased, and required the robbers, as well as the money which he had lent Abodus, by Sylleus, which was sixty talents, and since the time of payment was now past, he desired to have it paid him. But Sylleus, who had laid Abodus aside, and managed all by himself, denied the robbers were in Arabia, and put off the payment of the money, 
about which there was a hearing before Saturninus and Volumnius, who were then the presidents of Syria. At last he, by their means, agreed that within thirty days' time Herod should be paid his money, and that each of them should deliver up the other subjects reciprocally. Now as to Herod, there was not one of the other subjects found in his kingdom, either as doing any injustice, or on any other account, but it was proved that the Arabians had the robbers amongst them. When this day appointed for payment of the money was passed, without Sylleus's performing any part of his agreement, and he was gone to Rome, Herod demanded the payment of the money, and that the robbers that were in Arabia should be delivered up, and, by the permission of Saturninus and Volumnius, executed the judgment himself upon those that were refractory. He took an army that he had, and led it into Arabia, and in three days' time marched seven mansions, and when he came to the garrison wherein the robbers were, he made an assault upon them, and took them all, and demolished the place, which was called Rapta, which did no harm to any others. But as the Arabians came to their assistance, under Naseb their captain, they ensued a battle, wherein a few of Herod's soldiers, and Naseb, the captain of the Arabians, and about twenty of his soldiers, fell, while the rest betook themselves to flight. So when he had brought these to punishment, he placed three thousand Idumeans in Traconitus, and thereby restrained the robbers that were there. He also sent an account to the captains that were about Phoenicia, and demonstrated that he had done nothing but what he ought to do, in punishing the refractory Arabians, which, upon an exact inquiry, they found to be no more than what was true. However, messengers were hastened away to Sylleus to Rome, and informed him what had been done, and, as is usual, aggravated everything. Now Sylleus had already insinuated himself into the knowledge of Caesar, and was then about the palace, and as soon as he heard of these things, he changed his habit into black, and went in, and told Caesar that Arabia was afflicted with war, and that all his kingdom was in great confusion, upon Herod laying it waste with his army. And he said, with tears in his eyes, that two thousand five hundred of the principal men among the Arabians had been destroyed, and that their captain, Nisabus, his familiar friend and kinsman, was slain, and that the riches that were at Repta were carried off, and that Obidus was despised, whose infirm state of body rendered him unfit for war, on which account neither he nor the Arabian army were present. When Sylleus said so, and added invidiously, that he would not himself have come out of the country, unless he had believed that Caesar would have provided that they should all have peace one with another, and that, had he been there, he would have taken care that the war should not have been to Herod's advantage. Caesar was provoked when this was said, and asked no more than this one question, both of Herod's friends that were there, and of his own friends, who were come from Syria, whether Herod had led an army thither. And when they were forced to confess so much, Caesar, without staying to hear for what reason he did it, and how it was done, grew very angry, and wrote to Herod sharply. The sum of his epistle was this, that whereas of old he had used him as his friend, he should now use him as his subject. Sylleus also wrote an account of this to the Arabians, who were so elevated with it, that they neither delivered up the robbers that had fled to them, nor paid the money that was due. 
they retained those pastures also which they had hired and kept them without paying their rent and all this because the king of the jews was now in a low condition by reason of caesar's anger at him those of Traconitus also made use of this opportunity and rose up against the idumean garrison and followed the same way of robbing with the arabians who had pillaged their country and were more rigid in their unjust proceedings not only in order to get by it but by way of revenge also now herod was forced to bear all this that confidence of his being quite gone with which caesar's favor used to inspire him for caesar would not admit so much as an embassage from him to make an apology for him and when they came again he sent them away without success so he was cast into sadness and fear and Sylleus's circumstances grieved him exceedingly, who was now believed by Caesar, and was present at Rome, nay, sometimes aspiring higher. Now it came to pass that Obidus was dead, and Aeneas, whose name was afterward changed to Aretas, took the government, for Sylleus endeavored by calumnies to get him turned out of his principality, that he might himself take it with which design he gave much money to the courtiers and promised much money to caesar who indeed was angry that aretas had not sent to him first before he took the kingdom yet did aeneas send an epistle and presents to caesar and a golden crown of the weight of many talents now that epistle accused sylleus as having been a wicked servant and having killed obidus by poison and that while he was alive he had governed him as he pleased and had also debauched the wives of the arabians and had borrowed money in order to obtain the dominion for himself yet did not caesar give heed to these accusations but sent his ambassadors back without receiving any of his presents but in the meantime the affairs of judea and arabia became worse and worse partly because of the anarchy they were under and partly because as bad as they were nobody had power to govern them for of the two kings the one was not yet confirmed in his kingdom and so had not authority sufficient to restrain the evil-doers and as for herod caesar was immediately angry at him for having avenged himself and so he was compelled to bear all the injuries that were offered him at length when he saw no end of the mischief which surrounded him he resolved to send ambassadors to rome again to see whether his friends had prevailed to mitigate caesar and to address themselves to caesar himself and the ambassador he sent thither was nicholas of damascus chapter ten how eurycles falsely accused herod's sons and how their father bound them and wrote to caesar about them of sylleus and how he was accused by nicholas the disorders about herod's family and children about this time grew much worse for it now appeared certain nor was it unforeseen beforehand that fortune threatened the greatest and most insupportable misfortunes possible in his kingdom its progress and augmentation at this time arose on the occasion following one eurycles a lacedaemonian a person of note there but a man of a perverse mind and so cunning in his ways of voluptuousness and flattery as to indulge both and yet to seem to indulge neither of them came in his travels to herod and made him presents but so that he received more presents from him he also took such proper seasons for insinuating himself into his friendship that he became one of the most intimate of the king's friends 
he had his lodging in Antipater's house, but he had not only access, but free conversation with Alexander, as pretending to him that he was in great favor with Archelaus, the king of Cappadocia, whence he pretended much respect for Glaphyra, and in an occult manner cultivated a friendship with them all, but always attending to what was said and done, that he might be furnished with calumnies to please them all. In short, he behaved himself so to everybody in his conversation, as to appear to be his particular friend, and made others believe that his being anywhere was for the person's advantage. So he won upon Alexander, who was but young, and persuaded him that he might open his grievances to him, with assurance and with nobody else. So he declared his grief to him, how his father was alienated from him. He related to him also the affairs of his mother, and of Antipater, that he had driven them from their proper dignity, and had the power over everything himself, that no part of this was tolerable, since his father was already come to hate them, and he added, that he would neither admit them to his table, nor to his conversation. Such were the complaints, as was but natural, of Alexander about the things that troubled him. And these discourses Eurycles carried to Antipater, and told him he did not inform him of this on his own account, but that being overcome by his kindness, the great importance of the thing obliged him to do it. And he warned him to have a care of Alexander, for that what he said was spoken with vehemence, and that, in consequence of what he said, he would certainly kill him with his own hand. Whereupon Antipater, thinking him to be his friend by this advice, gave him presents upon all occasions, and at length persuaded him to inform Herod of what he had heard. So when he related to the king Alexander's ill-temper, as discovered by the words he had heard him speak, he was easily believed by him, and he thereby brought the king to that pass, turning him about by his words, and irritating him, till he increased his hatred to him, and made him implacable which he showed at that very time, for he immediately gave Eurycles a present of fifty talents, who, when he had gotten them, went to Archelaus, king of Cappadocia, and commended Alexander before him, and told him that he had been many ways of advantage to him, in making a reconciliation between him and his father. So he got money from him also, and went away, before his pernicious practices were found out. But when Eurycles was returned to Lacedaemon, he did not leave off doing mischief, and so, for his many acts of injustice, he was banished from his own country. But as for the king of the Jews, he was not now in the temper he was formerly in towards Alexander and Aristobulus, when he had been content with the hearing of their calumnies when others told him of them. But he was now come to that pass as to hate them himself, and to urge men to speak against them, though they did not do it of themselves. He also observed all that was said, and put questions, and gave ear to every one that would but speak, if they could but say anything against them, till at length he heard that Eurytus of Kos was a conspirator with Alexander, which thing to Herod was the most agreeable and sweetest news imaginable. But still a greater misfortune came upon the young men, while the calumnies against them were continually increased, and, as a man may say, one would think it was every one's endeavor to lay some grievous thing to their charge, which might appear to be for the king's preservation. There were two guards of Herod's body, 
who were in great esteem for their strength and tallness, Jocundus and Tyrannus. These men had been cast off by Herod, who was displeased at them. These now used to ride along with Alexander, and for their skill in their exercises were in great esteem with him, and had some gold and other gifts bestowed on them. Now the king, having an immediate suspicion of those men, had them tortured, who endured the torture courageously for a long time, but at last confessed that Alexander had persuaded them to kill Herod, when he was in pursuit of the wild beasts, that it might be said he fell from his horse, and was run through with his own spear, for that he had won such a misfortune formerly. They also showed where there was money hidden in the stable underground, and these convicted the king's chief hunter, that he had given the young men the royal hunting spears and weapons to Alexander's dependents, at Alexander's command. After these, the commander of the garrison of Alexandrium was caught and tortured, for he was accused to have promised to receive the young men into his fortress, and to supply them with that money of the kings which was laid up in that fortress. Yet did not he acknowledge anything of it himself, but his son came ill, and said it was so, and delivered up the writing, which, so far as could be guessed, was in Alexander's hand. Its contents were these. When we have finished, by God's help, all that we have proposed to do, we will come to you, but do your endeavors, as you have promised, to receive us into your fortress. After this writing was produced, Herod had no doubt about the treacherous designs of his sons against him. But Alexander said that Diophantus the scribe had imitated his hand, and that the paper was maliciously drawn up by Antipater. For Diophantus appeared to be very cunning in such practices, and as he was afterward convicted of forging other papers, he was put to death for it. So the king produced those that had been tortured before the multitude at Jericho, in order to have them accuse the young men, which accusers many of the people stoned to death. And when they were going to kill Alexander and Aristobulus likewise, the king would not permit them to do so, but restrain the multitude, by the means of Ptolemy and Pheroras. However, the young men were put under a guard, and kept in custody, that nobody might come at them. And all that they did or said was watched, and the reproach and fear they were in was little or nothing different from those of condemned criminals. And one of them, who was Aristobulus, was so deeply affected, that he brought Salome, who was his aunt and mother-in-law, to lament with him for his calamities, and to hate him who had suffered things to come to that pass. When he said to her, Art thou not in danger of destruction also? While the report goes, that thou hadst disclosed beforehand all our affairs to Sylleus, when thou wast in hopes of being married to him? She immediately carried these words to her brother. Upon this he was out of patience, and gave command to bind him, and enjoined them both, now they were kept separate one from the other, to write down the ill things they had done against their father, and bring the writings to him. So when this was enjoined them, they wrote this, that they had laid no treacherous designs, nor made any preparations against their father, but that they had intended to fly away, and that by the distress they were in, their lives being now uncertain and tedious to them. About this time there came an ambassador out of Cappadocia, from Archelaus, whose name was Melas. He was one of the principal rulers under him. 
So Herod, being desirous to show Archelaus's ill will to him, called for Alexander, as he was in his bonds, and asked him again concerning his flight, whether and how they had resolved to retire. Alexander replied to Archelaus, who had promised to send them away to Rome, but that they had no wicked nor mischievous designs against their father, and that nothing of that nature which their adversaries had charged upon them was true, and that their desire was, that he might have examined Tyrannus and Eucundus more strictly, but that they had been suddenly slain by the means of Antipater, who put his own friends among the multitude for that purpose. When this was said, Herod commanded that both Alexander and Melas should be carried to Glaphyra, Archelaus's daughter, and that she should be asked, whether she did not know somewhat of Alexander's treacherous designs against Herod. Now as soon as they were come to her, and she saw Alexander in bonds, she beat her head, and in great consternation gave a deep and moving groan. The young man also fell into tears. This was so miserable a spectacle to those present, that, for a great while, they were not able to say or do anything. But at length Ptolemy, who was ordered to bring Alexander, bid him say whether his wife was conscious of his actions. He replied, How is it possible that she, whom I love better than my own soul, and by whom I have had children, should not know what I do? Upon which she cried out that she knew of no wicked designs of his, but that yet, if her accusing herself falsely would tend to his preservation, she would confess it all. Alexander replied, There is no such wickedness as those, who ought the least of all so to do, suspect, which either I have imagined, or thou knowest of, but this only, that we have resolved to retire to Archelaus, and from thence to Rome, which she also confessed. Upon which Herod, supposing that Archelaus's ill will to him was proved, sent a letter by Olympus and Volumnius, and bid them, as they sailed by, to touch at Eleusia of Cilicia, and give Archelaus the letter, and that when they had expostulated with him, that he had a hand in his son's treacherous design against him, they should from thence sail to Rome, and that, in case they found Nicholas had gained any ground, and that Caesar was no longer displeased at him, he should give him his letters, and the proofs which he had ready to show against the young men. As to Archelaus, he made his defense for himself, that he had promised to receive the young men, because it was both for their own and their father's advantage so to do. Lest some too severe procedure should be gone upon, in that anger and disorder they were in, on occasion of the present suspicions, but that still he had not promised to send them to Caesar, and that he had not promised anything else to the young men that could show any ill will to him. When these ambassadors were come to Rome, they had a fit opportunity of delivering their letters to Caesar, because they found him reconciled to Herod, for the circumstances of Nicholas's ambassage had been as follows. As soon as he was come to Rome, and was about the court, he did not first of all set about what he was come for only, but he thought fit also to accuse Zelaeus. Now the Arabians, even before he came to talk with them, were quarreling one with another, and some of them left Sylleus's party, and joining themselves to Nicholas, informed him of all the wicked things that had been done, and produced to him evident demonstrations of the slaughter of a great number of Obedus's friends by Sylleus. For when these men left Sylleus, they had carried off with them those letters whereby they could convict him. 
when nicholas saw such an opportunity afforded him he made use of it in order to gain his own point afterward and endeavored immediately to make a reconciliation between caesar and herod for he was fully satisfied that if he should desire to make a defense for herod directly he should not be allowed that liberty but that if he desired to accuse sylleus there would be an occasion present itself of speaking on herod's behalf so when the cause was ready for hearing and the day was appointed nicholas while aretas's ambassadors were present accused sylleus and said that he imputed to him the destruction of the king obidus and of many others of the arabians that he had borrowed money for no good design and he proved that he had been guilty of adultery not only with the arabian but reigning women also and he added that above all the rest he had alienated caesar from herod and that all that he had said about the actions of herod were falsities when nicholas was come to this topic caesar stopped him from going on and desired him only to speak of this affair of herod and to show that he had not led an army into arabia nor slain two thousand five hundred men there nor taken prisoners nor pillaged the country to which nicholas made this answer i shall principally demonstrate that either nothing at all or but a very little of those imputations are true of which thou hast been informed for had they been true thou mightest justly have been still more angry at herod at this strange assertion caesar was very attentive and nicholas said that there was a debt due to herod of five hundred talents and a bond wherein it was written that if the time appointed be lapsed it should be lawful to make a seizure out of any part of his country as for the pretended army he said it was no army but a party sent out to require the just payment of the money that this was not sent immediately nor so soon as the bond allowed but that sylleus had come frequently before saturninus and volumnius the presidents of syria and that at last he had sworn at bertius by thy fortune that he would certainly pay the money within thirty days and deliver up the fugitives that were under his dominion and that when sylleus had performed nothing of this herod came again before the presidents and upon their permission to make a seizure for his money he with difficulty went out of his country with a party of soldiers for that purpose and this is all the war which these men so tragically describe and this is the affair of the expedition into arabia how can this be called a war when thy presidents permitted it the covenants allowed and it was not executed till thy name o caesar as well as that of the other gods had been profaned and now i must speak in order about the captives there were robbers that dwelt in traconitus at first their number was no more than forty but they became more afterwards and they escaped the punishment herod would have inflicted on them by making arabia their refuge sylleus received them and supported them with food that they might be mischievous to all mankind and gave them a country to inhabit and himself received the gains they made by robbery yet did he promise that he would deliver up these men and that by the same oaths and the same time that he swear and fix for payment of his debt nor can he by any means show that any other persons have at this time been taken out of arabia besides these and indeed not all these neither but only so many as could not conceal themselves and thus does the calumny of the captives which hath been so odiously represented appear to be no better than a fiction and a lie 
made on purpose to provoke thy indignation for i venture to affirm that when the forces of the arabians came upon us and one or two of herod's party fell he then only defended himself and there fell nisabus their general and in all about twenty-five others and no more whence Sylleus, by multiplying every single soldier to a hundred he reckons the slain to have been two thousand five hundred this provoked caesar more than ever so he turned to Sylleus, full of rage and asked him how many of the arabians were slain hereupon he hesitated and said he had been opposed upon the covenants also were read about the money he had borrowed and the letters of the presidents of syria and the complaints of the several cities so many as had been injured by the robbers the conclusion was this that Sylleus was condemned to die and that caesar was reconciled to herod and owned his repentance for what severe things he had written to him occasioned by calumny insomuch that he told Sylleus that he had compelled him by his lying account of things to be guilty of ingratitude against a man that was his friend at the last all came to this Sylleus was sent away to answer herod's suit and to repay the debt that he owed and after that to be punished with death but still caesar was offended with aretas that he had taken upon himself the government without his consent first obtained for he had determined to bestow arabia upon herod but that the letters he had sent hindered him from so doing for olympus and volumnius perceiving that caesar was now become favorable to herod thought fit immediately to deliver him the letters they were commanded by herod to give him concerning his sons when caesar had read them he thought it would not be proper to add another government to him now he was old and in an ill state with relation to his sons so he admitted aretas's ambassadors and after he had just reproved him for his rashness in not tarrying till he received the kingdom from him he accepted of his presence and confirmed him in his government end of book sixteen chapters nine and ten